Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast and the founder of MBAschool.com. Today, I have back on the podcast, Linda Abraham. It's always great to talk to Linda. I've had her on before and I've just known Linda for um, quite some time now. And Linda is the founder of Accepted, which is a graduate um, admissions graduate admissions consulting firm. And today we're going to talk about 2021 MBA application insights and trends. I was talking to Linda a little bit before we started. She's been pretty busy lately, which is not a surprise, but we're going to find out more as to what's going on with MBA applications, the cycle, what she is seeing both from you know, her clients as well as talking with folks in the market and just get a prognosis of what's to come. We're, we're shooting this sometime in early January. We're still in the midst of application season, so plenty of time left on the clock, but we're going to take a look back and take a look forward. I guess just to start, Linda, first and foremost, Happy New Year. Um, welcome back. Thank you. I know it's been a couple months since we last talked, but uh, yeah, walk us through the last couple months. I know you've been busy, but talk to me a little bit more. What were some of the things that you saw or what were some of the trends that you observed? Should I start with last March? Because that's when really things yeah. changed. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. All right. So March, as everybody knows, was when the shutdown hit in the United States. There were also no on, there were no tests. There was no GMAT, no GRE, no EA, no alphabet, no whatever. No visa processing for internationals because the consulates closed abroad. And business schools were really concerned whether students will show up to class when they, you know, the admitted class of 2020 would show actually show up, could show up. And they revved up recruiting for round any open round three for an additional round four. And sometimes they added deadlines or just continued with rolling admissions until they were confident that they had their class. So that was March. April and May, remote testing begins for both the GRE and the GMAT, and I believe the EA. And applicants begin to realize that COVID may have brought pain, but also opportunity. In terms of their ability to start their MBA a year earlier than planned, in a worse economy than existed a few months earlier, and perhaps get into better programs or obtain more financial aid. So we got really busy, surprisingly busy in April and May, not so much with 2021 applicants, in other words, applicants applying to matriculate in 2021. That was pretty steady. That was not as unusual a jump, but with these late round applicants from 2020, hoping to matriculate in 2020. June and July, we continued to work with the 2020 applicants because it was a cycle that never ended or seemed to never end, albeit at a slower pace. And we started working with much more seriously with 2021 applicants. And somewhere in there, GMAC fixed the whiteboard issue that had plagued its remote GMAT test until that point in time. And finally, the cycle that never ended or never seemed to end did actually end with the start of the 2020, 2020 instruction with a remote, in-person, or hybrid, because that was the other thing that was going on. The move to, first of all, remote instruction in spring of 2020, and then 
many schools attempted with varying degrees of success to start with a hybrid model in fall of 2020. So that brings us to the 2020-2021 application cycle for people hoping to matriculate in 2021. And I think that this cycle, which is the one we're in right now, has been marked by two, two main things, okay? Two main uh, developments, if you will. Number one, trend toward test optional or test waivers is definitely news this cycle. And number two, the surge in applications that kind of started at the end of the last application cycle and has, has continued dramatically. I believe though that the stats aren't out yet, especially round one. I'm not sure about round two, but round one for sure. I saw a dramatic increase in application volume. So that brings us up to date. Thank you for walking us through that chronologically. And let's take the 2020-2021 application cycle. So maybe, I don't know, maybe sometime over the summer up until now. So would love to know from your perspective, from what you've seen so far, what was pretty consistent with what you thought when this started? And if anything, what surprised you, at least up until this date? Once the recession hit, which basically started in March, you started seeing hints of it in February, but by March, it was really clear that the country was going into a very sharp downturn, serious increase in unemployment. I felt that the late rounds were an opportunity for applicants who were ready to apply. In other words, they had their GMAT or their GRE exam in particular, or they felt they could take it very quickly. And they knew they wanted to get the MBA. They knew why they wanted the MBA. They usually knew where they wanted to apply. And they were not going to let the prospect of at least some of their education being remote stop them from going for the degree. And I felt it was an opportunity for them because I, they, they would, I thought that they would get in greater numbers, possibly get into better schools and spend most of the recession in school and hopefully as they were coming out of school, graduate into an expanding economy. And I think I was right with that. Okay. We, what I think surprised me a little bit was that the, the, the trend towards test optional was going to, was going to stick. Okay. But the sense that the MBA application volume would increase this cycle, competition would increase the cycle because a recession generally leads to increase in application volumes. That was something that I called and I was 100% right on. The trend towards test optional, test waivers, et cetera, I think that one, the jury is still out on, and I'm not sure how that's going to play out. I don't have a strong feeling on that one. Yeah. So I was that was actually going to be a follow-up question for me because I was going to ask you what you thought about this. I, I definitely was a little surprised to see it continue. I think initially that a lot of the messaging around this was that it seemed as if, particularly at the time, for those schools who went with this policy back when COVID hit, it was more of a one-time kind of thing, at least to start, right? to adapt and evolve, given the circumstances at the time. But now you're getting into a circumstance where you have some schools who are putting forth this policy either in addition, so they didn't do it the first time, but they're doing it now. And then you have some schools who are extending it for another year. And I just, I wonder, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. And maybe we can talk this out loud because I know you said you're still trying to decipher on this, but if you're a school that has done this for two years straight, what's going to get you to go back? Like what is going to, once you build up momentum towards something, once you start indoctrinating your applicants to, this is how it is, is that, is this going to be hard to, to reverse down the road. There was a period in the 1990s when Harvard did not require the GMAT. 
Okay. Interesting. And they do now. Obviously they do now. And I don't, I don't know when before that they did or didn't, I don't know the history of it, but I know there was a period in the nineties where they did not. And obviously they went to it. Now I think for years after starting to require it, they probably emphasize it a little bit less than sure. many other top programs, but I don't think you can really see a difference in the last few years at Harvard. And obviously Harvard has chosen not to waive the GMAT this time around. So that little historic trivia is not doesn't seem to be terribly influential at that point in terms of Harvard's policies. Most of the schools that are waiving the GMAT say it's an experiment. It's because of circumstances. I think it'll, and I think you also have to look at it really carefully. There's a difference between going test optional or not requiring a test at all and saying you can apply for a waiver. Sure. Because but when they're they're giving a waiver that basically feels, that basically says that they have enough evidence from the other material that you're presenting that they don't feel they need the GMAT. So the the people who don't need the GMAT, they, yeah, you don't need to take it, fine, or the GRE or whatever the test is, because you have great grades, you have great work experience, you have progression on the job, you have all the things that they're looking for, or most of them. You have to distinguish between those three things. There's an evaluation going on if they're offering a test waiver. It doesn't mean you get in but it means that they feel they can evaluate your application fairly without that test score, whether, again, I don't care which one it is. Test Going test optional means that you can only, you only have to submit a test if you feel it's going to add to your profile, to your credentials. And then there's those who are saying we're not looking at the test at all. And I don't think there's too many, I think Ross is doing that this year, right. mm-hmm. but and I'm maybe MIT Sloan, but it's that's the minority. Most of them are saying they want you can request a waiver. Yeah. That's a distinct uh, distinction. In terms of where I see this going in the future, I've talked to a lot of MBA admissions directors, and there's a certain amount of resentment against the the tyranny of the test. In other words, there are a lot of times that they want to admit somebody, and the test score is low. Maybe they want to admit a few people, and the test score is low, and they don't want the hit to their GMAT average. So if they don't have to count the GMAT, then they have more freedom to admit whom they want. In terms of coming back to the old policy or changing the policy in the future, let's say you're test optional and you want to move to test waiver. At some point in time, in addition to Harvard's example, I think uh, what you're going to see is if the test optional or test waiver, whatever you want to call it, policy does not affect the quality of the applicants, in particular the graduates, so that recruiters are fine with it and the professors are fine with it, then there's little reason to go back to what was. If, however, the schools find that either the recruiters are not very happy with the student quality anymore or the professors are reporting, how could you let this person in? (laughs) Where where were you? Were you asleep at the wheel when you admitted this person? If they're getting that kind of feedback, then and they look and they say, oh, this person didn't have the exam then suddenly I think they'll, they're going to start rethinking the policy. I think those are, I think those are really good points. And I also, I think what's also nuanced that maybe now that wasn't maybe perhaps as predominant in the nineties is more of the conversation around access and inclusivity in terms of that conversation, just around not only the GMAT test itself is is a fee, but the GMAT industrial complex in terms of (laughs) what it, you know, for resources and, and things in that nature. I think that's become more of a, part of the conversation today than it ever was. I, I wasn't around the 90s or it wasn't involved. I was around in the 90s, not involved in this conversation. Right, 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 right. 
my hunch is that wasn't as much of a conversation then as it is now. And uh, It was a concern at the time, but it, it wasn't as much of a driver, mm-hmm. if you will, or motivator. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess from your perspective in terms of working with clients and prospective applicants, how do the test policies of schools that they're considering, how do you, are you advising them in terms of how to factor, should a school make my list or, or not in terms of what their test policy is? Like, how are you advising them in terms of trying to make sense of that? I think it really depends on the applicant, which is sure, you know, fair. What the answer is no, so, I know, so, so frequently yeah. to when consultants are asked questions. Of course. If the consultant, if the applicant rather has great qualifications, then go for a test waiver. You don't need it. We were actually having an internal discussion today about a particular applicant who, like many applicants, has some strengths, but his GMAT was mediocre. It wasn't terrible. It was still not quite what he'd hoped for and a little bit below average for the school that he was applying to. But he had other things that were fantastic. And the question came up, should he report the test score or should he not? Uh, it was for a school that's entirely test optional. And I think the conclusion was that, that he should report it because otherwise people might think it was much lower than it really is. Yeah. 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 That was that. And so that was going to be my other, my follow-up question to that is, is if it is optional, like what is, what is the mindset of someone on the other side of that application file? Right. Is, and again, it, it's going to depend. I know that, but because I, I was likely to come to the conclusion that you just came to is that if you're given the choice and you choose no, it just, my assumption is it just, it, it leaves more questions to be answered. That right. You don't want admissions committee members guessing. At the same time, let's say that the GMAT score was really low. Let's say it was 100 points or 75 points under the school's average. I'd definitely leave it off. Yeah, totally. At that totally. point. So it really depends on the individual circumstances. And if you are a person who has the below average, uh, the below average grades, okay, and you have some strengths and you have some other weaknesses, I would study my tail off to get a high test score. And I just choose the test that's going to show your strengths at their best advantage. Yeah. No, I think that's a good, that's a good, that's a good uh, approach to do it. Okay. So I think we've exhausted the GMAT, which is okay. great. I want to talk to you a little bit more just about the other big thing, which we touched on a little bit, but the economy. And that certainly has an impact in terms of application volume, as you pointed out. When things start to get a little bit worse in the job market, it's a great opportunity to go to school. Obviously, we've definitely had some challenges in the economy this year, some industries more than others. But in terms of what you're seeing from your clients that are coming in, what role has the economy kind of played, right? Is Are you starting to get more folks who are, were in maybe like the hospitality industry, which obviously has gone through some hardship or entertainment and the like, or like what role has that, that the economy and the impacts on that really played in terms of the folks that you've been working with? We, we are getting some more from hospitality and entertainment and the really hard in- hit industries, but I think what we're getting more of is people from a broad array of industries, whether it's tech or finance or consulting, there was the usual usual suspects who just say, you know what, this is a good time. If I'm going to do the MBA, this is a good time to do it. Economy is stagnating, especially I think in consulting. Consulting is still progressing, but it's, it's harder to get assignments. There's more people on the bench, that kind of stuff. Tech is booming. So, you know, I, I think there's just a sense of 
the economy is slowing. Why don't I go get it now? That's more of what I'm seeing than an influx of people from hospitality or an influx of people from media and entertainment. Sure. And I presume that also impacts in terms of, at least for the application, what their future aspirations are in terms of what they're trying to get into or transition into or grow into. We're getting fewer people who say they want to go into hospitality (laughs) or they want to go into media entertainment right now because those industries are just on the ropes. On the other hand, in two or three years, I think my daughter was just telling me that there's a lot of pent-up demand for travel and that once people are vaccinated, they're going to travel. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to fly. They're going to visit the families that they couldn't visit. We were just, we were discussing it before we went live. So there will be that pent up demand. So I don't, the decline in travel is not an eternal kind of thing, but I'm sure that people might be hedging their bets a little bit more in terms of the industry, their industry focus. No, I think that's, I think that's fair. Okay. Would love to know. Okay. Like again, we were in January and right now I know that there's, there were some decisions that came out in December. I know that over even this week and in the coming weeks, there's some more deadlines that are coming up. And then mm-hmm. I think as we move towards the end of January and of February, some acceptances will start coming out again. But as we think move, looking forward into the months of January, February, March, April, which tends to be a busy time, what what are you expecting? What do you think is going to happen, at least right now? Okay. As I mentioned, I think round one saw an enormous increase in application volume. Yeah. I'm not sure. Round two is going to be good, strong, but I don't think it's going to see quite as much of, mm-hmm. of the surge that we saw in round one. Sounds to be funny to be talking about something as a surge other than COVID, but yeah, there was an application volume surge also. I think round three or the late rounds will be more normal in air quotes. Unlike la- last year's was definitely not normal. I expect it to be much more for exceptional applicants who can round out the class in some way and really add to a specific school's class. Some schools over the summer indicated, Ross is one that I remember, that they were really impressed with the late round applicants that they got, and they're going to make sure that they can accept more. But I think you'll also see more of the applicants rejected round one from elite programs, hedging their bets with slightly lower rank, but still excellent programs via a late round application. This is also something that you saw prior to 2020. So I'm sure. Not sure that's that's really new. Sure. And you mentioned Ross, so that just triggered something for me as a follow-up question. So I think Ross was maybe one of the schools that did not have as much of a surge in applications last year. And I do believe the rationale for that is that, or one of the factors they talked about was that they did allow people to defer, I believe, or international students to defer. I think that or essentially, and that was one of the rationale I think they gave for why their uh, volume didn't surge what it was. But it, what it got me thinking about is that for other schools who had deferral policies, what impact is that going to have in terms of the acceptances for this year, right? In terms of HBS comes to mind as, as one of the right. Well, HBS I, I, I says that they're going to admit the same number of students, that they're increasing okay. their class. That, that's what I understood. And uh, I heard Chad Losey over the summer at the time, it was that he, was, he really wanted it that way. And I think later it came out that, that that is indeed what their plan was. They also know, now 
Harvard in particular said that they're going to admit the deferred students over two years. So it's not going to all hit one year. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, and for them, it was a significant number. It was over 200 students Mm -hmm. for other schools. The, the deferrals were granted on an individual basis. There was no blanket deferral and they, you know, so there were far fewer deferrals as a percentage of the class. And they also said, and this is true, not everybody who defers will show up. Interesting. Yeah. This is the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's, I think that's a, I think that's a fair point. Okay. One other thing I wanted to talk about before I get to really asking you for some advice, I was just thinking about this the other day. So I feel like what, if we were having this conversation a year ago, so pre COVID, I think part of the narrative was going to be around what is this volume application volume going to look like? Because for the past three or four or five years, application volume with large for top MBA programs had dipped and many schools had year over year drops. Some of them double digit Mm -hmm. COVID. And that, that started springing up a whole kinds of questions around what's the the traditional ones when in these cycles comes, is the MBA even relevant? Do people need an MBA? All those kinds of things. Then COVID happened and that conversation went away because (laughs) flipped entirely. (laughs) I'm just wondering I'm curious, obviously the numbers dictate a different story in the direction that we're going in, but in theory, the conversation that was happening maybe a year ago would have hopefully brought on some changes or potentially some changes because programs don't want to live in this world where they're losing single double digit applicants year over year. But whatever, did all those changes just get thrown by the wayside and just forgotten about? Were they factored in just to knowing that, okay, we have this growth and we need to find other ways to you know adopt and evolve? Or will that conversation still be, is that conversation still even relevant? Because the numbers were what they were. We saw them and there was clearly well, I, I a think One thing we didn't mention in our, our previous discussion about requiring tests is that by waiving tests, you're automatically increasing application volume. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So I think that the test waivers we're in some small degree maybe being discussed and considered because of the different applications before COVID hit. And I think the other thing, we're both playing Monday morning quarterback here. I know. Um, We have to remember for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. It's fine. fine. We have to remember that the business schools last March, they were, they were in a very reactive kind of mode. Mm -hmm. They were dealing with, I know unprecedented. So over, I know, (laughs) but it's true. It's true. It was an unprecedented situation. They'd never dealt with it before. Yes, there was a pandemic in 1920. I know, but none of them were alive then. Right. Okay. They certainly weren't an admissions office, and admissions has changed enormously. And then, so this situation was brand new, and they were reacting to it and dealing with it the best they could, both in terms of getting classes online, in terms of getting recruiting online, in terms of ensuring that there were enough people to fill up their classes. Okay. So that was the mode they were in. Fall comes, they have ideas how to recruit. They've transitioned to zoom. They've set up all kinds of online events. Okay, great. They're adapting. COVID gets worse. Suddenly it's, well, are we hybrid? Are we in class? Are we remote? What again, it's a very, and and then there's an, a surge in applications. 
Mm-hmm. Not even an increase, but they were London Business School postponed when it was giving it some of its interview invitations because it had so many applications, it couldn't review them all in time. And many other schools were doing similar things. And so they have in general been in a very reactive kind of mode, not the kind of mode where you long-term planning and strategy, it's different. Sure. Okay. So that's context, I think. Now, I do think that the move to test optional, test waivers, et cetera, is partially a result of the previous dip and maybe in anticipation of a future dip, as well as you mentioned, the diversity, equity, and inclusion concerns that the schools have. I don't think that it was entirely thrown out, but I think that circumstances were such that the schools and the admissions offices, they were doing the best they could under extremely difficult circumstances, working crazy sure. hours just yep. to deal with the situation as it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, that I know for sure. Okay. So we're wrapping up here, but before we close, would love to always end by just getting some advice from you. So I'm going to give you a couple scenarios for prospective applicants. Okay. And would love to hear what your thoughts are. First off, you know, what advice do you have for maybe a candidate who has yet to apply but wants to apply? Okay. Are you asking specifically in light of the increased yes. uh, application volume? Yes. Okay. All right. So my advice is not dramatically different, but there are some nuances that I think would change, okay, from what my, I normally advise. First, I would advise that you be very realistic, because of the surge in applications, okay? The numbers that you're gonna be looking at for last year's average GMAT, average GRE, average GPA, uh, they're going to probably be a little higher next year. And if you're low or your work experience is low or it's not competitive qualitatively, which is actually, I think, more important than the quantitative aspect of it, then you need to be very realistic. If you want to apply to one or two dream schools, because that's what your heart's set on, fine, go ahead. But most of the schools that you apply to should be schools where you are competitive. Okay. And realize that the, again, the school numbers are probably going to increase. So if you were, that would be number one. Number two, I would make it my business to attend any relevant online event that the school offers you so that you can know as much as possible about the school. I try and interact with current students, whatever opportunities are afforded to that are, again, relevant. And then the, that, the information you glean from these interactions will inform and animate your application. And by doing so, you're also demonstrating interest in the school, which is something that the schools do look at. I'm not saying it's a decisive factor, but if you are an applicant who's barely shown your nose at a school event, and there's a very comparable applicant who's been at five or six such events, guess which one who's going, is going to get accepted? The one who's demonstrated the interest. That's number one. So that's, that was actually number two. Number one is uh, be realistic in your applications. Number two is demonstrate interest. And number three is consider applying to perhaps one or two more schools just to increase the chances that one of the schools will buy it. Again, it depends on your profile, your needs, your goals, et cetera. But that would be one other way of dealing and probably contributing to on some level, the surge in the applications. So that would be my advice for the other. And I, I assume you t- you're talking mostly about applicants for next year with this example, right? Yes. 
Yep. Yeah. The other thing I would strongly encourage is that you try and start your application as soon as possible. And I don't mean writing it necessarily. If you're going to take the test, get it out of the way, get out of the way early, study for it, study well for it, do the best you can, clarify your goals, do your school research, do all these things that can be done in the winter and early spring or the spring before the applications come out so that when the applications come out, you're set to go. You're ready to, to, to launch. And you may also, especially if you're applying to four or more schools, you may want to consider splitting up your applications and submit maybe three or four round one and three or four round two. That's great. So what about if you're a candidate who applied round one and got dinged? So what advice would you have for those, the people in that bucket? Okay. I think the first thing that a potential reapplicant, because that's what we're talking about, has to do is analyze what went wrong. There are basically four reasons for rejection. It boils down. Okay. Number one, weren't weren't competitive. Simply weren't competitive in terms of their, their academic stats, their work experience, community service, leadership, all the qualities that business schools look for. They weren't competitive. Number two, second re- possible reason for rejection is they failed to present their qualifications effectively via their applications. Maybe they submitted rushed applications, sloppy applications. Maybe they just didn't answer the questions posed. They didn't show fit. Whatever it is, they failed to present their qualifications effectively. There is also a third reason, and I wouldn't rush to this reason as a sole reason you were accepted because it relieves you of all responsibility, and that is that too many people like you applied to the programs that you were interested in. So you got weeded out and you were basically a victim of the numbers. This is particularly true for people coming from groups that are overrepresented in the MBA applicant pool. And the fourth reason is a combination of the first three. Okay. And frequently it is a combination of the first three. Okay. So once you analyze what went wrong, then you need to address the elements that need addressing. Now, you're not going to change your whether you're a member of an overrepresented group or not. That you just can't deal with, other than perhaps applying to a few more programs so that you're more likely to stand out. And that's why I don't like people to focus on that one, because that's the one that you have the least control over. But one and two, you weren't competitive or you failed to present your qualifications effectively, those are things that you definitely do have control over. So if you have, number one, you weren't competitive, you, your choice is to either improve your qualifications, and that might mean you wait till next year or the year after, or you change the programs that you're applying to, to so that you're applying to programs where you are competitive and to programs that support your goals. That's number one. Number two, if you fail to present your qualifications effectively, and this is something that we work with applicants all the time, both in analyzing whether they failed to do so and helping them do so, then you need to present your qualifications effectively. Did your essays provide a window into the real you? Were they good demonstrations of your writing and communications ability? Did they add value to the application and really inform the uh, reader of something that's not found elsewhere in the application? Did you show fit? Did you have a demonstrate a clear goal and logical path to that goal? All those kinds of things should be part of the app, almost all MBA applications. Okay. Can I give a, a brief plug? For yeah. Okay. One of the things that uh, we do at Accepted is we review applications, rejected applications, and provide suggestions on how to go forward from that. And you can, for that, you can go to accept.com slash MBA review 
it'll take you to our rejection review service. Again, com slash MBA review. And we'll make sure we put that in the, the show notes there. Last question for you, Linda, sure. uh, along these same lines. What about those waitlisted candidates? What do they need to do moving forward? Okay. The first thing they need to do is follow the instructions they're given. Okay. This is not a time to go off the rails and do what you feel like. It's also not a time to ignore the school. The school encourages you to tell them if you want to remain on the wait list. So first of all, follow those instructions. If the schools are open to updates, let them know what's going on. Let them know that you're an even better candidate today than you were when you submitted your application. Let them know that you're really interested in their school and what you've learned about it from recent interactions with current students or recent alumni. And for more suggestions, again, I'm going to give another resource. This is a free resource, accepted.com slash MBAWL, accepted.com slash MBAWL. And there you have a whole bunch of suggestions on how to respond to a wait list. You can also, if current students in the program and the program is open, you can ask current students to comment on your fit with the program and that they think you'd be a great member of their community. But the main thing is that if the school is open to updates, you want to keep them updated and let them know the fantastic things you've been doing since you applied. Great. I think that's all I have for today. So Linda, thank you so much for joining me, uh, for coming on and talking about the MBA application process and what you've seen so far in the 2020-2021 cycle and what's to come. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to talk to you too, Al. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.